Your hosts are here, Sammy and Michelle. By the end of this podcast, you'll know them well. Adulting, navigating the journey of life. Careers to relationships, pain and strife. Put down the rule book. Rethink the status quo. If there's another direction you want to go. Find purpose, passion and mastery in all that you do. With status post adulting hello status post adulting friends and family how are you doing this is sammy and michelle and today we're here to talk about one of our most favorite topics especially one of my most favorite topics which is finance i think the correct way to say it is favoritist topic (laughs) sammy what does finance mean to you finance today finance means freedom And I know it sounds dramatic, but I do think that finance and having enough money is a huge part of status post-adulting because it can be really hard to be intentional about your life when you're so focused on just having enough. Well, lucky for you, today we're going to be talking about financial freedom. The best kind of freedom. And the best place to start is Michigan. On a snowy day in winter, I was born into this world. Yeah, Michelle, I mean, I think you bring up a great point. To really understand where people come from when it comes to finance, it is good to understand their history. Like, what was their experience with finance growing up? Because we all have some kind of experience. We've all been exposed to our parents and other people who have implanted ideas in us about money. And that affects us today. It's funny too, because when I think about how I felt when I was younger versus now, I don't think I ever thought actively like, oh, we have a problem. We don't have money, like anything so dramatic like that. But it is easy to see how the way we grew up, the time period that we grew up, the area that we grew up all affected how I think about money today, at least. Yeah, definitely. I would say, you know, with our parents, they're always very positive people. And we never had a sense that, you know, we were lacking for anything. But But they, growing up, had a very different experience. They're both immigrants from India, and they came to the United States specifically with the goal of being able to create a better life and to be able to build wealth. Yeah, exactly. And I would definitely say that for the most part, they did that. You know, my mom was a nurse and our dad worked in a factory in Michigan. Certainly, they didn't have like an abundance of wealth. I think they had more than they ever thought they would need. Yeah, they knew they needed to support the family and they were able to do that. That being said, you know, we did grow up during the Great uh, Recession in the late 2000s. Mm -hmm. And so that definitely had a big impact on how I viewed, I would even just say like the stability of the market of like economics for us our dad lost his job when we were in like middle school or high school our mom was a breadwinner for our whole life so Mm -hmm. I think we've viewed money and responsibility very differently because of that and so for me seeing that you know our dad lost his job and that wasn't isolated Michigan was hit particularly hard with the recession GM and Chrysler filed bankruptcy they had the highest migration rate even after I went to college and came back I had a lot of trouble finding a job and it wasn't until I moved to California and was working in tech started in this market that for the next 10 years until the pandemic would be 
profitable. Like I, I just, you know, I never in that time in the last 10 years thought, oh, like everything is comfortable and nothing bad could happen. I always thought I could lose my job at any point. Anything could happen. Like I need to make sure that I like save money and I'm able to take care of myself in case something happens. Yeah, Michelle. I mean, when I think about 2007, 2008 and the years before that, we really had the typical story of the country during those times. Our parents had bought a bigger house that was like, you know, within their means, but probably on the outer limits of their means, just like many people in the United States at that time. And then the market crashed. And on top of that, especially the car industry crashed and our dad lost his job. So we were the prototypical story of the United States at that time. Yeah, exactly, Sammy. I know I became very disillusioned. There was this thought before that was buying a house is one of the most financially responsible decisions that you can make. Almost everybody we knew at that time was losing money on the house that they bought. There was Mm -hmm. like an excess of houses. That's very different than things today. We live in the Bay Area where you have to drop a million dollars to buy a house. A small house. (laughs) (laughs) A one bedroom in the back of a closet. a shack. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. I think millennials and people who came of age at that time probably have a very different perspective on housing than generations beforehand. Exactly, Sammy. So fast forward to their post-college years. Um, I went from my bachelor's to Michigan for a year to moving to California. Got a job in sales and technology and things sort of just took off. Got really lucky in some ways. In that time period when I had started my kind of first real stable job, my first instinct, kind of like the basics that I knew was my mom always said, have an emergency fund. And she kind of had to harass me, but to put money into my 401k. And when I reached that level, I didn't think much about it. I just kept doing what I was doing, which was putting more money into my savings account, putting more money into my savings account. And then I had a little bit allocated to spend. I was lucky the people I was around at that time weren't spending necessarily a lot of money either. Uh, Yeah, I just saved and saved and saved. Yeah, and I would say that's something that's different about me versus you. I mean, you are just naturally a saver type of person. Even growing up, like if Michelle would get a bag of candy and I would get a bag of cake candy, I'm going to like eat it the same day. YOLO. (laughs) I would then save mine and save me with an eat my candy. You think I would learn. Clearly still resentful, but um, yeah. (laughs) It's still true today. (laughs) But yeah, so Michelle had like a saving tendency. Whereas for me, things were different. I mean, first of all, after my bachelor's, I went to grad school in a healthcare profession. And so I graduated with a solid, you know, job opportunities, but also with $165,000 in student loan debt, which, you know, I know sounds like a lot, but I think for me, in a way, it was kind of a good thing because I at least had to be intentional about my plans for paying off the debt. And I, and I was super intentional. I did the calculations and I ultimately decided to do like 10-year student loan forgiveness, which is an option for people who are nonprofits. That part definitely worked out. But after paying off a portion every year to my loans and then my basic needs, I pretty much was spending whatever money I had left over. Yeah, Sammy. We both would do something different with our excess money, but I think the common thread is that neither of us were that intentional about it. Yeah, yeah. Good point, Michelle. We are equally bad. We are equally bad. (laughs) So Sammy, I think the question is what changed? We talk about it in our first episode. We both end up in San Francisco. We're living our best life. We're spending a lot of money. We're not really thinking too much about it. Mm -hmm. And the question I think is like, what really took us from point A to where we are now? Yeah, I would say one big thing for me was I had this huge commute to work. Like I was commuting from San Francisco to San Jose. And really, I was commuting three hours total each day. And I ended up reading 
tons of audiobooks. Honestly, I think it's been like over 100 audiobooks and listening to a ton of podcasts. But one of those audiobooks was Ramit Sethi's I Will Teach You To Be Rich. In Ramit's book, he talks about a lot of financial basics that are good to know. And one of those includes maxing out your 401k. So I did start doing that in addition to whatever money I had to have to like pay my bills. Yeah, Sammy, I wasn't maxing out my 401k. And then you read that book and you told me it was a good idea. And I was like, okay, yeah, I guess I could be contributing more. And that's made such a big difference. Yeah, that book definitely got me interested in finance. And it just made the topic much less scary and me more open to the topic of finance in general. Agreed, Sammy. And you're definitely one of those people when you start to learn something, you go in 100. But I think the question too is how did you get from there to the FIRE movement and thinking about financial independence? Yeah, Michelle, this is why who you choose as your friends and sisters is so important. (laughs) We have this friend who her and her fiance had moved to Austria and we went to visit them and you could just tell that they were thinking out of the box with what they were doing with their finances. Like, first of all, they were talking about investing, like nothing crazy, just like conservative investments. And then also like she had got a housing stipend for her apartment through her job but then at the same time they were still like airbnb their second room so they were getting passive income through that and then even just like little things like they were planting their own herbs so that they wouldn't have to buy herbs from the grocery store and i saw all these things and i was kind of like hmm like what's going on here so i asked my friend and she said you know well haven't you heard of the fire movement and she was like you know financial independence retire early and this was definitely the first time i heard of the fire movement but i went home and I started listening to like every podcast out there and reading every article that there was about financial independence retire early. And while I slept, she would play them. So, you know, through osmosis, I guess I was learning about it too. Yeah, Michelle was passively learning (laughs) against my will. I joke, but I definitely was, I definitely let you take the, the fireball by the horns. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so I think it's fair to ask you, Sammy, what exactly does financial independence mean? And how does that affect our podcast? Why are we talking about it today? Yeah. So, I mean, if you had asked me what I thought financial independence meant, I would say like, oh, like it means that you don't depend on your parents or like someone for income. Yeah, Sammy. When, I, when you first told me about fire, I was like, I am financially independent. I'm financially <laughs> independent from my mom and dad. that's all I wanted I achieved that I'm good financial independence means you don't have to work for money fire specifically means financial independence retire early so like in the United States people typically work they save a very small fraction of their income and they retire around age 65 but the whole premise of the fire movement is if you save a larger portion of your income, you can retire much earlier than 65. A lot of people in the fire movement are retiring in their 30s or in their 40s. Exactly, Sammy. The point being, we're really only told and encouraged to save a small amount to basically keep us working longer. But potentially, maybe you can save more money than, you know, the whatever, you know, rule of thumb is and get to a place where you can retire earlier than that. It seems like a lot of people are actually able to do that. Yeah, definitely. And I don't want people to get caught up on the retire early aspect of FIRE. Retiring early is an option. I mean, a lot of people, even within the FIRE community, either don't necessarily want to retire early or maybe they want to go part-time or do work that they love that makes money, but not necessarily just like completely stop working and go live on a beach and drink pina coladas all day. Though some people might like that. Some people might like that and I'm down, you know. (laughs) 
But in all honesty, even for me, retiring early is not necessarily the goal. The biggest, most inspirational thing about financial independence retire early was learning about financial independence and figuring out what my financial independence number was. How do you figure that out, Tammy? Great question, Michelle. (laughs) So to put it simply, your financial independence number represents the amount of money that you'll need to never work again. You can calculate this number by taking your annual spending and multiplying it by 25. That number then represents the amount of money that you would need in total assets, meaning in stocks, bonds, cash, to live off of for the rest of your life, assuming that you would get an average of a 4% interest rate. This number comes from data pulled from the Trinity study, which was done in 1998. And of course, there's a lot of detail and depth that you can get into. So I'll post links to the Trinity study and some podcasts about it in the show notes. For our purposes here today on the show, I'm keeping it simple and your fine number is your annual spending times 25. I'm lost. Like, let's say you spend $50,000 a year. You take 50000 times 25, and that's $1.25 million. $1.25 million is the amount that you can live off of, assuming that if your investments get an average of 4% interest, you can live off the interest and never go down on the principal, and you'll be able to live off of that for many, many years. My savings account definitely does not have a 4% return. Yeah, exactly, Michelle. It's not saying that you can just save up $1.5 million in a savings account or in a checking account or something and you'll be good to go. This is assuming that you're investing your money granted in relatively conservative ways, which we'll talk about in future podcasts, but it is assuming that you're investing your money. So put all my money in Tesla? <laughs> Like I said, we'll talk about it in future podcasts. That is not financial advice. (laughs) Definitely not financial advice by us. So with this episode, we're really just giving a taste of the concept around financial independence. But one challenge that we put out to you and to ourselves is to figure out what that number looks like for you. 1.25 million might sound like a lot. It might sound like a little. It might sound arbitrary. And quite frankly, we plugged in random numbers into the equation. It is a very straightforward way to start to get an idea of what that could look like for you. Yeah, I mean, I remember finding out my number and it sounded really high, but it was just such a benchmark that I could then use. I knew if I was able to cut down my spending, then my number would decrease. I knew if I found a way to decrease my housing expense, then my number would decrease. And how did you start to realize those things? That's another great point, Michelle. You're not really going to have a great idea of how much you spend a year unless you track your spending. Sammy's favorite activity. It's my favorite activity and I really think it's a game changer in life. It's a good exercise for everybody to go through. Even if you don't continue tracking your spending forever, doing it for some time just to see on average how much you spend is huge in just knowing what your habits are and also making sure that those habits align with your values. It's so true because you might be spending a hundred dollars a month on a Netflix subscription and you never watch TV or you might be spending a hundred dollars. <laughs> you're not doing that because Netflix is $9.99. We don't watch TV so we don't have a lot of knowledge about these things. <laughs> you might be spending a hundred dollars a month on dinner. Sammy and I talked about how we were spending money on things that we don't really enjoy joy and so you're able to cut back on that no one's asking you to live in scarcity exactly it's really just about what that means to you being very once again intentional about how you spend your money where your money is going and if you do that 
the trade-off is that you might be able to achieve financial independence sooner than 65. Yeah, exactly, Michelle. And I would say before getting to your financial independence number, with each increase in the amount that you're saving, there is like an increased sense of freedom. When you know that, hey, I have enough money saved up so I wouldn't have to work for two years. You're not gonna be so willing to do things at work that maybe don't align with your values. Yeah, if you love your job and you want to work there until you're 80, more power to you. At the same time, something goes wrong or if you want to switch roles or you want to take a six month sabbatical, whatever it is, now you have the freedom to do so. Exactly, Michelle. And that's the whole point of this concept of financial independence in general is that we look at our money, time, health. And I think a lot of times we assume that we can always make more money. And a lot of times that leads to us buying things without thinking about it. But really money is related to time. Whatever we buy represents hours that we're going to have to work to pay off those things. And if we don't buy those things and instead invest that money, that's time that we get back and then time that, you know, compounds. So it actually leads to more time in the future. Exactly, Sammy. A core pillar here is that we think we have infinite time and that we need to make more money. But the truth is, is that we can always make more money, but our time is finite. At some point, the one truth of life is that all of us will die. And so the question is, are you making financial decisions that are trapping you in the workforce longer when maybe those things don't necessarily mean that much to you? Maybe you don't even hold that much value to some of the things that you're purchasing in your life. So for me and Sammy, that's a little bit of a look into how we came to think about our finances, how we view it now, and really the scope of how we are going to be talking about finance moving forward. Next week, we're going to be releasing an episode on finance basics, but we did want to give a little bit of a background to us and where we're coming from. With these topics, there's tons of nuance, so I'll post links to some of my favorite podcasts and articles in the show notes so that you guys can investigate more on your own. Thank you so much for listening today. As always, you can email us at statuspostadulting at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at statuspostadulting. And we know your time is valuable. If you want to dedicate some of that time to writing us a review on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate that so much. And thank you to everybody that has up until this point we love you and we really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to Status Post Adulting. Join us next time as we put down the rule book and rethink the status quo. Bye.